None of the Ralsties know that his first name is Ernst. Ernst, 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 Ernst. <laughs> Greetings, listeners, domestic, international, and nomadic carnival folk. I'm Dave Reed. And I'm Kristen Riley. And this is the Rotating Cast Files. Where we watch and discuss those television shows that were canceled too soon. Today we are talking about Carnival, Season 1, Episode 4, Black Blizzard. It originally aired October 5th, back in Lot 3. It was written by William Schmidt and directed by Peter Medic. This is the first one that was not written at all by Daniel Knopf. Mm. Interesting. It does have a different feel. It does. In the DVD box set, we get the intro, or the setup, on the road to Babylon, Texas. The Carnies come face to face with nature's fury. Lured by clues about his past, Ben reluctantly follows Lodes into an abandoned house where the seer tests Ben's powers. Which is like one-tenth of what happens in this episode. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> accurate. Guest stars include Amanda Aday as Dora Mae Dreyfus. Now, Aday, is she Meatloaf's daughter? I don't know. Oh. Did you look it up? No, I was going to ask you. No, I didn't look it up. Because her last name is Aday, so it makes me think she might be Meatloaf's daughter. Dude, I don't know that Meatloaf has a, a last name. <laughs> he, he does, and it's Aday. <laughs> I've always thought Meatloaf was like Cher or Madonna. Can't remember what his first name is. Meatloaf. <laughs> Meatloaf Aday? Yeah. <laughs> Michael. Michael Leaday. Amanda? Yep, it is. She's Meatloaf's daughter. <laughs> Real-time investigations. His other daughter, Pearl, is married to Scott Ian. Pearl? We watched that movie earlier. <laughs> we did. Pearl needs... It's the same person, too. Pearl needs some help. <laughs> that movie is about Meatloaf's daughter. <laughs> and the guy that comes home from the war is Scott Ian from Anthrax. No. <sighs> I need to know what town that is so I can never go there. <laughs> We also have Judith Hogue as Miss Jolene. She was April O'Neil in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The cartoon? I don't think so. I think it was a live action 1991. Wow, I don't rem I don't remember April O'Neil in that. Well. And we have Gabriel Mann as Harlan Staub, who I only call the diner guy. He was Nolan Ross in Revenge. Okay, I never saw that. It doesn't seem like a show you would watch. I obsessively binged it. <laughs> and at the moment this man shows up, I look at him and I'm like, you're an asshole. <laughs> I don't know where I know that from. But I know I know but it. But I absolutely will not be changing my mind. <laughs> His name being Harlan and him owning a diner, I just kept thinking of him as Colonel Sanders. <laughs> And we also have co-starring Blake Shields as Osgood. He was in one episode of American Horror Story in 2021, another TV show I freaking love. And he was also in one episode of a lot of other things I've seen in the past decade. <laughs> Previously on Carnival, he's dangerous. I saw Scatter. You got the gift. There's rules, boy. This whole block is slated for demolition. Otho has a heart attack. You're not going to shut it down, I'll shut it down for you. The Reverend Benjamin St. John. You're going to heal my ma, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Where did he go? What if she hadn't stopped you? The voices. I love doing voices. <sighs> now, to this episode, Black Blizzard. The opening shot is gorgeous. Everything is brown, but they're situated near mountains. 
mountains we'll barely ever see again. <laughs> I don't even know. They must be in Texas by now. They're in Texas. When we see the shot, the external shot or the wide shot later, they're more like hills. Mm -hmm. But in this opening shot, they are <laughs> mountains. And we know they don't move. Yeah. The opening shot and the later shot are not the same location. <laughs> <laughs> Did not notice that. Oh. We zoom in and see Ben working on a car, probably stealing carburetors before it was cool. The conjoined twins are in the background. <laughs> what? <laughs> that took way too long. That's because my mind was going, they didn't have carburetors <laughs> until like 1980. <laughs> Editors note, what I was thinking about was catalytic converters, not carburetors. And the first three-way catalytic converter came into popular use in 1981. Before it was cool. <laughs> Way before. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be accurate. It was supposed to be a joke. <laughs> the conjoined twins are in the background doing their morning exercises. Ben sees them and is fascinated. It's actually kind of nice. Ben's watching them and appreciating it. In not a creepy way, but also the way he looks at women and the way that the camera lingers on it it's like has he never seen a woman ever in his entire life who knows because he's 18 now and we know he escaped from a chain gang so what point did he get locked up i don't know do we ever find out puberty do we ever find out not yet not in episode four <laughs> we are a spoiler free podcast i don't like that i just want to know if we find out not what it is but i thought it was nice he was appreciating them he was actually like taking in parts of the carnival. Yes, because they were doing stretches. So they were they're doing like morning stretches, but then doing slow tumble, not tumbles, cartwheels. Sure. Which I can't do a, any speed cartwheel. Especially not conjoined to somebody. I can't do it just with myself. <laughs> My body and I do not work that well together. I could do a slow fall over. <laughs> yeah, it is nice because he's, a, you're right, he's, appreciating as opposed to critique not even critiquing he doesn't know enough to critique just he's not just being an asshole like he has been a lot loads is being fancy in his trailer with his absinthe performing Look. his own rendition of jurassic park loads goes through a couple different waves of things here yeah he does and i want to talk about it okay because at first he's just sitting and i guess still it's called staring if yeah, he's kind of, see. he's just staring off in the middle distance. But he has one sort of thing, and it's almost like when he was having the conversation with Apollonia. I get the feeling that he's doing something. Ah. But then something else hits him, and it's like he f knows at that point that the storm is coming. He definitely does, because he reaches over. He senses something, because we don't see anything just yet. His demeanor changes a little. Yep. I love the subtlety of this. A yeah. lot of people have this in the next episode. No spoilers, but there's something happening in the background that you can absolutely miss, mm -hmm. but it is so poignant. Mm. So I've been thinking about that all day, but I really like the subtleties in a little while in this episode. Sophie does it. Mm -hmm. So Lodz is doing something magical and then he gets hit with something else magical. Yeah. And then he gets happy. Yes, he reaches over and kind of feels, I guess he feels the glass shaking. Yeah. It's all very subtle. It's nothing, nothing's violent yet. But he does seem thrilled about it. Yeah. Sophie and her mother argue in their trailer about Sophie's habit of going to town to have a little fun. 
She says she's never let it go too far and it's not lying. Apollonia doesn't want her to go and tells her that, so Sophie is wearing an outfit, but she's also folding a dress. And her mom, apparently, since we never hear Apollonia's side of the story, apparently is telling her that dress is ugly. It's ugly. And it's an ugly lie. What yeah. you're doing is an ugly lie. Yeah, and it's, it's not lying. You always say that. Apollonia slams the door as she's leaving to prevent Sophie from going. And Sophie says, what are you talking about? It's a beautiful day foreshadowing. So Lodes is not the only person that knows what's about to happen. No. And before Sophie leaves, she's rattling off a list of all of the the chores and caretaking stuff that she's already done. So she has been preparing for this day for a while, knowing, or at least, you know, for a a little while anyway, because she's done so much already and it's before breakfast. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. She'll be back before the, before the carnival opens. And that's true. (laughs) Samson is getting all dolled up also. Samson has what I like to call a fifth of aftershave. (laughs) (laughs) It it looks like it's a fifth of liquor, but he's like getting it on his hands and putting it on his face. That's so much. Is he humming or is there just music playing? I can't remember. He's probably humming. And he's, yeah, he's definitely getting, he's looking at himself in the mirror and he says, you handsome devil. And he, I think he says he'll be back later. As he leaves, we see through the curtain a little bit to where he's indicated talking to management. And the curtain is open slightly, but you can't see anything. It looks, you can't see anything through the crack. It's not dark, but there's nothing obvious there. And the curtain is yanked closed from the inside. Ben is getting food from the hottest server at the circus. He sits with someone I've never noticed before who pointedly gets up and sits at another table. Why? Weren't we thrilled about Ben last episode? He got us eggs and bacon and And orange orange juice. juice. Why are we mad at him now? I have no idea. And also there's a full loaf of bread sliced on that table that the guy just got up from and no one's going to use it. Looks like good Outback bread too. It really does. Yeah, I understand why Ben didn't go sit at the table with everyone else from this episode. Because <laughs> he doesn't hang out with any of them. Right. He doesn't know any of them yet. Right. But the Rousties, you got to think during the course of the workday, he's talking to these people. Or at least nearby enough to like grunt something about <laughs> what they're doing. I don't expect Ben to be having in-depth conversations with anyone. He seems terrible at small talk. So I can't imagine what he would be like trying to talk about something real. Oh, God, God damn it. Oh, God. I feel like just slamming my face into a brick wall <laughs> would be preferable to trying to talk to Ben about anything. <laughs> the protagonist of our show is not fun to be around. I don't like it. <laughs> I do not like it. <laughs> Which is odd. Because what you usually want to show is for your main character to be interesting and exciting. My goodness. Ben like, shows... Likeable. That's the word I'm looking for. You want your main character usually to be likable. Ben Hawkins is not that. Oh my gosh. He shows up and I'm like, get this over with, please. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, what is happening to him? Because he's absolutely not making anything happen. (laughs) The stuff that's happening to him, fascinating. Yeah, right. (laughs) At a nearby table, all of our remaining characters are seated. Gecko complains about the heat and the shade while sitting in the shade. (laughs) 
Lila riles everybody up by saying, see that nearby road? It leads to Babylon, which ticks everybody off into saying what their theories or their what they've heard about Babylon. Libby says she heard three Rousties were strung up there in 32. Dorme says it wasn't Rousties, it was freaks. And then Lila says two pinheads and an albino. Apparently, Gecko is albinophobic. <laughs> It's a fun little scene because everybody has their little line. It's like a choreography. Yeah. It's a choreographed verbal scene. Yeah, it's a I guess middle school acting. lunch table. I heard this. I heard this. It really is. Stumpy says, ah, Babylon ain't even real. It's, do you see how Stumpy's eating his yeah, oatmeal? So he's <laughs> fisting the spoon? Yes, I absolutely did. It's like, what are you doing? He's got like a big turquoise ring. <laughs> it's a Stumpy. What? Okay. <laughs> Next, we see Jonesy following Samson through the carnival grounds. He's worried that his men are, are going to bolt. Everyone's been jumpy since they went off course. Samson's basically... I was saying, now they're headed to Babylon. Yes. Makes it even worse. Yep. Samson says it's not his call, as he always says. It's management's call. Jonesy says maybe he could talk to management. His men are standing right behind him and encouraging him. And Good moral support, those guys. And that's what we call foreshadowing again. But Samson <laughs> shuts it down and walks away because Jonesy is overstepping wildly. <laughs> I don't believe he is. He is basically the the shop foreman at this point. No, he, def he definitely is. I don't know what he would have been before this point, but it seems like this is not the place to have this conversation. Although I don't know when you would have this conversation because Samson's not allowing anybody to see management. This is a labor management dispute, so I am going to be with labor on this. All right. Yeah. I don't think Jonesy's in the wrong here at all. Not here. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I see your note. <laughs> <laughs> nope. I, like At this point, I'm all with Jonesy and I'm all with Samson. I'm with them both. Both of these guys. Actually, Samson, not quite as much in this scene because i think he could have diffused it a little bit better yes he just says well that ain't gonna happen when he should have said all right when i get back i'll talk to him and i'll see if he'll talk to you that would have been better i think he could have done that instead yeah so jonesy walks around to the car because as they're walking samson calls osgood to go start the car there samson's obviously going into town and jonesy follows him to the car opens the door they chat through the window before Samson leaves. Samson gives Jonesy the key ring with all of the keys to everything on it because Jonesy is now in charge. He's like, he's the second in command, really, since management is the mysterious person in charge of everything. But the only person that we've seen is Samson. Right. So we know that he's the head man as far as we have all seen and heard give instructions. And then Jonesy is in charge when Samson's not there. So that all makes sense. Jonesy's men behind him are just razzing him when Samson drives away. There's that good moral support. Yeah. <laughs> That's telling him. <laughs> it is basically also like playground stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's not too harsh, but it's also picking at each other. Ben goes to see Loads, who's wrapping bottles in cloth and hiding them away. Loads is also foreshadowing. Everybody's foreshadowing. Or I guess foreshadowing again. <laughs> Apparently he called for Ben. 
But as soon as Ben's like, you called for me, he says, no. (laughs) (laughs) He said you wanted to talk to me. That's what it was. (laughs) That's right. No. Great. I'm glad that this is all happening in this specific weird way because there's no good way to get these two alone together. Not really. Mm -mm. I mean, Lodes is very, very interested in him, but Ben doesn't have any business with anybody except the other Rousties. Right. Yet. Maybe a little bit with Ruthie. They have had somewhat of a rapport. Yeah, she's helped him out. He's asked her some questions. That would make sense. They've had at least some conversations before. But why would... Loads and Ben ever talk. Right. Except... Except that Loads is obviously... Wants to. Yes. But I understand Ben being like, okay, weird guy. None of the Rousties know that his first name is Ernst. Ernst, 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 Ernst. (laughs) It's a sound every time he's every anytime it pops into my head, it's a different kind of sound. Oh gosh, okay. So Lode says he doesn't want to talk to Ben. He wants to show him something. So they have to drive somewhere. Ben's like, I don't wanna. Everybody in this episode's driving places. They're all going places. Everybody has to go somewhere. And Samson and Sophie are all in these nice new cars that I've never seen before. Where did they get them? Who knows? Did they steal them in Tipton? I hope so. They stole them from the police department? Yes. That's okay. He's going to find them eventually. (laughs) Eventually. I sure would like those sedans back. (laughs) Lodes finishes placing his bottles away and locks up his trailer before following Ben to the car. So Ben's going to drive because Lodes' eyes don't work very well for that kind of thing. and uh, (laughs) (laughs) Or any kind of thing? I don't know. He sees something. I think he's got metaphorically or whatever <laughs> okay <laughs> now to brother justin because we have to skip to everybody this is the first five minutes of the episode i think <laughs> brother justin is walking through his orphanage slash ministry and uh, we see iris giving choir practice to the children norman stops by and brother justin is excited to see him because of, of course, course he does say, if I had known that you were going to stop by, I would, I would have, have had, had Iris, Iris make, make, something. make us something. What a world we live in, in 1934. And also still. Yes, I say that to everybody. I would have had Kristen make us something. <laughs> and then I would have been like, I'm sorry, he accidentally tripped down the stairs <laughs> in front of you just now. Weird, right? Since we weren't even near the stairs. Huh. So Norman is there to talk to Justin about what the oversight department (laughs) of the church has decided. The shareholders. (laughs) I don't know what the terms are. The chief marketing officer of church. The church shell company has decided (laughs) that. The bishop. There's a bishop involved there somewhere. There's a bishop. And then there's an umbrella of other people. And they've decided, or they've talked to Norman about... Justin has to give up this ministry that he's doing and go back to his home Yes, I was trying to think of how it happened. So his ministry has written the Shell Corporation to say, we're mad that our attractive minister has left. And instead of preaching to us and giving us all of the attention, he's talking to the poors. Yes, but he maintains that he's not neglected his other church. He is still preaching there. Yes. He's just also preaching here. Yes. And he does make a really good point. 
I didn't spend any of the church's money on this. Yep. And Norman's like, why didn't you tell anybody you're supposed to do this? <laughs> Justin says the most, the, the thing that I feel the most in this whole episode, I didn't want to deal with the red tape. <laughs> <laughs> you guys suck. Yes, exactly. Oh my God. Can't I just do something good and not have to go through all of the bullshit? Honestly, it didn't matter what you said. I was going to do this anyway. Yeah, <laughs> is also what it meant. <laughs> and so Norman's like, look, there's you have to turn this over. You absolutely have to because the church pays you and they want you to get away from this. Oh, what he specifically says is you are a church asset, which is something... I felt the most in this scene. You are not a person. You are an asset. Oh, yeah. That makes sense, too. Justin is obviously not happy. And he says that he can't. He can't walk away from this because God has told him that this is his whole life. This is his duty. Yes, God speaks to all of us. And Justin says, no, like in the Bible, God talked to me. <laughs> no, God really talked to me. He listed people. Moses and Abraham. And somebody else. There were multiple people. And I was like, why did God used to talk to a bunch of people? And God doesn't talk to people now unless we know that there's definitely something wrong. I mean, God talks to a lot of people according to those people. I know. But like, really? And we don't see them as mentally ill. Right. Which is interesting. So I want to ask you, the way that Norman's face acting goes here. Beautiful. I'm glad you were talking about this because it's what I wanted to talk about. When Justin corrects him and says, no, God really talks to me, Norman's whole demeanor changes. It does. It's slight. It's it's subtle, but it changes. There is a clarity that comes to him here, and I don't know what that clarity is. Me neither. So do you think Norman still believes in God? I, I'm sure he does. He believes in God the way, you know, Christians do. Well, more than that. I believe in Norman. I, I believe. Okay. <laughs> I believe in. I believe in Norman. Okay. Believe <laughs> this is a character that exists on television. <laughs> There's nothing you can say that will change my mind. All right. <laughs> Does he speak to you? <laughs> Not to me. He speaks to all of us. Oh, good. At the same time. As long as you're in front of the television at the same time. <laughs> oh, okay. my God. <laughs> no, I believe that Norman <laughs> believes in God. I believe he's a, you know, quote unquote, good Christian man. But I don't know if Norman believes that God still talks to people. And the clarity that comes over him, I'm wondering, is, oh, no, something is wrong with Justin. Or, oh, are we seeing something great and powerful here? Because in the other episode, he was talking about in times of great strife great people will rise up. I'm also curious. And the reason that I started with, do you think that he believes in God? Because that really does determine the, his next steps also. Uh -huh. I didn't know that we were going to have the revelation <laughs> that <laughs> we had. <laughs> Amen, I guess. <laughs> but it's going to be really interesting because Norman and Justin's relationship has been one way for a long time. And Iris mentions it later and in all kinds of stuff. We we know that they've had a good a good supportive relationship, but you can tell in this moment whatever direction this is going, something has shifted. Yes. So that's the end of that scene. Back to Sophie. She's driving into town and she changes into the cute dress. I said it was a cute dress for the 1930s. It seems 
like something cute. It's fine. It is a. It's fine, but it doesn't work without the hat. I can tell you that. No, the hat really ties it all ties together. Ties it, ties it, brings it in. It does. She is getting dressed or changing out of what she was wearing that wouldn't have been suspicious walking through the carnival <laughs> into this cute little dress and hat combo. Uh-huh. Reminiscent of the uh, revival we had a few episodes back. Ah, yes. And she's changing in the bathroom in town. She's talking to herself in the mirror. She's practicing her play acting. Oh, has it been that long? Yes. Back to Samson. Samson shows up at Miss Jolene's house. He brings her flowers and she kisses his cheek. I couldn't stop looking in the background when he walks up to the house. She's got some beautiful plants. This woman knows how to take care of plants. Oh, good for her. Yeah, just gorgeous. And I say that because I didn't buy any plants today because I have to nurture all of mine back to life. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, I need to I need to go visit Miss Jolene. <laughs> Find out some of her tricks. <laughs> Wait, what? You weren't paying attention, so I wanted to see if I could rattle you. I was paying attention. Before she closes her door, as she's closing it, she kind of looks around. In the manner that you do when you definitely have nosy neighbors, just to see who's out watching you. In the manner that you do when somebody is walking into your house that you don't want to see walking into your house. Or that. Back to Sophie, because we jump around so much in this episode. Sophie is in the truck. She's sitting outside a diner as a young man walks up. He notices her as he walks up. She notices him noticing her. He looks familiar to me, and he has the tiniest mustache. I can't. With this mustache. Oh my gosh, no. So when I mentioned his tiny mustache, you said he doesn't have a mustache. I didn't believe he did when you told me that. I had only seen this episode four times at that point. The only thing I have seen on this man is that tiny mustache. And when you told me to my face (laughs) that I was wrong, why do you think I sat in here while that scene came up? I didn't say you were wrong. I said I didn't see a mustache. Yes, you did. You said he doesn't have a mustache, okay, which I, is the same thing as you are wrong. Yeah, okay. I probably said that and you then did. you maintained it. I would not have held firmly to the belief that he didn't have a mustache. And he I has, would have held firmly to the belief that I didn't see his mustache. He, and that was the case. And then, and then what happened? All I can see is that <laughs> That's <mustache>. right. <laughs> you have now been cursed. I think because this is the first time I've seen it in HD. It's probably why. Yeah. It's probably why. But my God, that mustache is so small, but just in your face. It's. I think small is the adjective that I have a problem with. Because when I think of small mustache, I think of John Waters' little pencil mustache. Right. His is just like so thin. It's very. Out yeah. That yeah. There's no way this man can grow an actual mustache. Oh, absolutely not. You I, hate him, so I'm going to hate him as well. I even looked up. I was like, let me see if I can find something else where he has a mustache on his IMDb page. And doing a quick scroll, I didn't see any other Uh facial hair. Of course not. Eventually, he comes out to the car to see if she's okay. He's been inside doing diner stuff. And he sees her still out there. So he goes out. Sophie tells him that she's waiting for her brother, Ben, who's out sending a wire and running errands. And before we get into anything else, let's just sit for a moment as Sophie has sat for an hour and a half. Well, hasn't been that long. <laughs> yes. What is she? What would you be doing? She's not reading a book. She's not reading a book. She's not scrolling TikTok. She's just sitting. Horrifying. If I had to go to town with my brother while he sent a wire and ran some errands, I would at least go stroll. Then again, know. the last time she went to town, 
it was awful. So maybe it's not safe to stroll. (laughs) That's true. Fuck. Good point. I hate everything. Yeah. (laughs) Including Diner Man. Diner Guy, I'm sorry. He's not, he's kind of in that in-between age. She gives him a false name. I believe she says Betty Jones. At which point my brain just started singing. Yes. And eventually she joins him inside. He serves her tea on the house. As he's setting her tea down, he puts his hand on her hand and she corrects him and says she's a Mrs., not Miss. And if you pay attention to the actors in the background, they are watching this whole thing. Oh, really? Yes. I did not pay attention to that. <laughs> they at look all. at his face. They look at his hand on her hand. They look at her. <laughs> when she says, Mrs., he takes his hand off her hand. They look at that. <laughs> she says, Well, I'm a widow. They look back at her. <laughs> <laughs> and then we can't see him anymore because it tightens, the, nice. the shot tightens. But they are doing so much in the background. Amazing. Because. These are probably regulars, right? Yeah. People aren't. They talk like they're regulars because Colonel Harlan says, you make sure you finish that this time. Right. So they all know each other. Yeah. And so they're watching this guy put his hands all over this woman. And they know he's married. Yes, that's my point. And he's doing it so blatantly in front of people who know he's married that this is his regular thing. Yep. Okay. Just so that we all know. Because we're all gonna know. Uh, including Apollonia, who probably knew before any of us knew. (laughs) Moms, am I right? (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) All right. So she says she's a missus, not a miss. And it's been almost two years since her husband passed away. As little respect as I have for separating women into miss, missus, and miss, miss, and missus, it's an interesting correction for her to make When your fake spouse is also dead. So she could just be back to being Miss, but there's a whole air that comes to Mrs. Well, it's because she's playing a game. Well, I know that. But do you also think it's a subtle hint that she's not a virgin? No, I do not. Why not? I can't say, because this is a spoiler-free podcast. It would make her seem more worldly, which is weird because she's Sophie and she's the most worldly person that we've met so far, including the people at the... I don't believe she is at all. She's never left the carnival. She has a better idea of what the world is for real than Jonesy does. I guess we have differing definitions on worldly then. What is your definition? Like you've been to Chicago? Oh, yeah. Been to New York City. <laughs> well, Clayton Jones has probably been to those places and he doesn't have any idea how the world works. He was a professional baseball player. Right. And has no idea how the world works. Because he was a professional baseball player. I don't think that we got to the end of, to the bottom of any of that. No. Great. Not remotely. We see Ben and Lodes driving. Lodes is being mysterious, which is annoying both Ben and me. Now the storm arrives. Oh, well, Lodes doesn't want to spoil the adventure. And Ben hits the brakes so hard, Lodes (laughs) about flies through the windshield, but also finds it hilarious because he knows he's getting under Ben's skin. And I'm just like, cut to the chase, boys. Yeah. I know you're enjoying getting under his skin, but it's not a difficult thing to do. So you Mm-mm. shouldn't really be proud of yourself for it. It would be harder to not get under Ben's <laughs> skin. God damn it. We see Samson getting dressed and paying Miss Jolene. The wind blows the money on the floor and Samson's driver calls him from outside. That would be Osgood. Osgood. The storm is arriving everywhere. Back at the diner. 
Sophie is telling Jonesy's story, kind of. He was a professional baseball player, famous enough for the diner guy to recall his injury a few years back. The background in this scene is fantastic. The two are leaning towards each other over the diner, and the camera gets tight. It's a tight shot on both of them. In the background, as they're talking, you can hear the wind whipping around and around the building and the dirt and debris pelting windows. And the lighting changes, but they're too focused on themselves to notice how vastly different everything around them has become. Yeah. It seems that Jonesy was famous enough because his injury is familiar. His name was recognizable. I don't know what famous versus not famous means in the 1930s. I don't know what it means now. Half the time I see people on TV and I'm like, oh my God. Someone knows who you are. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you're famous somewhere. But Sophie says after he injured his knee, he changed, leading to Jonesy completing suicide in her version of the tale. Now, I would like to talk about the fact that there are no healthy relationships in this show. Okay. The fact that Sophie uses Jonesy as her fake husband. What do we think about that? So we've established that Jonesy has these weird feelings for her. Right. What does it say about Sophie's feelings for him that she's using him as her fake husband? I think it's the name recognition. It makes her more interesting. Convenient. Yep. That's the end of it. That's what I think. What do you think? I don't know. That's why I wanted to talk about it. I don't think she has. Sure. I don't think she has any feelings for Jonesy, but I do think that if I had to pick anyone that I knew for my little game. And one of those people had name recognition and none of the other people did. And the name recognition person disappeared (laughs) two years ago, approximately. I'd probably use that one. All right. Wouldn't it make you seem more interesting? Sure. You mean Mrs. Hawkins doesn't have the same zing to it? Oh, God. Sweetheart, run. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. How are you not bored to death? (laughs) So, no. I think my answer is no. Okay. (laughs) She asks Diner Guy if he's married. He lies. And she knows he's lying. I don't think she does. Or at least she claims not to later. She claims not to. Yeah. She does. So obvious. And if you look at her face, she's like... But why would she lie to her mom when she knows that she can't lie to her mom? Ah, we'll get to that. Okay. (laughs) Ah, moms, am I right? (laughs) Eventually, they notice the storm. Sophie rushes out the door saying, Mama! But it's too late to go anywhere. So we're going to get into it. Emily St. James is back from the AV Club to give us some insight to answer some of your questions. Oh, fantastic. So in her write-up of this episode, Sophie is a woman who's been trapped in a desperate relationship with her bedridden mother since she can remember. And that's necessarily created someone who needs to escape, who's plenty happy to take the truck and just drive to a nearby town where she'll flirt with a local and invent a new story about who she is. When she's in town, she immediately turns to lying because she can. She doesn't have her mother literally invading her mind. So the ultimate freedom becomes evading the truth. That makes a ton of sense. Yep. To continue just that thought, because I couldn't find a better place to put this in, (laughs) and it's also a really good thought. She wants freedom, but she's also not always sure how far she can take it, which leaves her running back to her home and the strangely codependent parent-child relationship that imprisons her. So there's, there is a freedom in lying that she doesn't have when she's 
back home. Oh, that makes perfect sense. The This being her motivation for this game is great. It's wonderful. I'm super glad we have it on the podcast. I wish one of us had come up with it. Oh, I know. When I read that, I was like, I can't... I understand and this makes sense but i couldn't articulate this better so i'm gonna borrow your oh yeah i mean give her (laughs) give emily credit because it's good it's good writing good job she'll show up a couple of times in this episode (laughs) maybe you should do this podcast because she has some really good character dives and i'm like this is exactly it loads leads ben to a deserted cabin ben is angry about it and being melodramatic I'm mad about the sheep, but also concerned about the timing of the storm and how quickly it kills people. I'm sure that the lamb was dead before the storm hit, but do you think that the dead lamb is symbolic of something? Yes. I also want to know how heavy that lamb is, because the wind is nearly kicking Ben's ass all the way to the cabin, and that lamb is not moving a little bit. That's how it died. It got filled with lead. (laughs) But yes, this lamb has shown up in flashes in the nightmares. Oh, okay. Interesting. And and also a dead lamb. Ben. As helpless as a lamb. (laughs) Yes. Back back at the carnival, though, at least two people think that, hey, Apollonia can't move. She might be in trouble. Yeah. So Stumpy and Dorme go and help her out. Yes. Which I thought was very nice. And I thought it was telling that it was those two characters that did it. Oh, why those two? I think it shows that they are kind of the most empathetic people there. I think so, because Apollonia absolutely hates that family. Yeah, but they neither know nor care. <laughs> right. And it, yeah, I like that. I like that they are the most willing to do what needs to be done. Well, Jonesy goes around and yeah, tries to suffocate himself in the storm later. But. Jonesy's definitely trying to get work done, but I think it's because he's work needs to be done guy. I th- yeah, I think you're right. It's a different... Jonesy going around and checking on people is different than these two going and checking on Apollonia. Yeah. Absolutely. They went, oh no, the lady who can't move. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. She's going to need help. (laughs) Right. Jonesy's like, everybody needs help. Ah! (laughs) Oh God, why am I in charge now? (laughs) Okay, I'm in charge, but am I in charge hat? Right, I do know how to do this. Okay, you do this, you do this, you do this. (laughs) Right. Don't want to say Jonesy's doing a bad job because everybody survived and the carnival looked good afterwards too. Yep. A little bit worse for wear, but whatever. <laughs> Jonesy clearly did a good job, so not shitting on him. No, it's just different reasons for them. It's, they have different motivations. Yeah. I, I'm glad that you pointed that out. Back to Loads and Ben. Loads knows Ben isn't going to die from the dust storm because Ben's like, but I could have died. <laughs> Almost got dead out there. God damn it. <laughs> but he also knows that the dust and the what do you say it's this topsoil from 10,000 farms just like yours and that's what killed your mother she drowned in it in the dust <laughs> loads rails bent up because it literally takes nothing at all <laughs> and i think it's a two-pronged attack here partially because he's trying to push ben to get to a point where he's going to do something with his powers and part he just likes doing it yep i agree i fully agree as Ben came into the door, Loads was had started a fire in the fireplace, which is fucking wild. There's so many cross drafts in this room. There was there's literally no way Loads could have started that fire. Just so that we're all clear. This is a bullshit fire. <laughs> but Loads is telling Ben that he could have that Ben could have prevented Flora's death until Ben yells, Stop. Everything's getting 
bigger and bigger and bigger. It's it's a great, another great theatrical moment because Loads is pushing Ben. Ben is getting furious and he's got guilt and he's got all kinds of stuff. He's got feelings he doesn't even have words for. And when that happens, if you're overwhelmed by emotion, it can feel like everything's so noisy. You can hear the blood in your ears. Like just, so internally it would be noisy, but externally it's noisy too because of the, because of the storm. And as it's building, 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 so is the wind outside. It's building, building, building. And then all of a sudden it's too much and Ben yells, stop! Everything stops. Open the door. So Ben walks over and opens the door and... It's a nice Microsoft Windows background out there. It really is. <laughs> and Ben goes, I didn't have anything to do with that. And then what does he say? He says something else and it all starts again. I think it was like, no, I didn't. Ah, so he's <clears throat> denying his powers. So that's when the... Yep. Storm starts again. Yep, you're, yep, that's right. Load says something else, and Ben replies, You're just a two bit used up old junkie. And Load hits him in the face with a hot poker, which I thought was the most fun that I've seen them do. <laughs> just whack. <laughs> just Ben gets up in Load's face, and Load just hits him with a hot poker. Regardless of all of this that's happening, Ben puts his hand over the burn on his face. And Loads is saying something about how it doesn't really matter because it's just move, move your hand. I know that it's not going to be there now. Because we've seen the um, hot poker mark on his face. Ben covers it with his hand. And when he removes his hand, he doesn't have it on his face anymore. And Loads makes a really good observation. He says, you can't see it, but you can still smell burning flesh. <laughs> and I'm like... You guys are so damn melodramatic. <laughs> at which, at one point, Loads calls Ben melodramatic. Yes. Holy crap, pot and kettle. What the fuck? They deserve each other. <laughs> at one point in here, we go back to Miss Jolene's house, where they're just kind of sitting around, not knowing what to say. They might as well have just been taking turns going, yep. <laughs> right. They're all, the three of them, um, Samson, Miss Jolene, and Osgood are just sitting in kind of a conversational circle. Yep. It would be wonderful if you had people you wanted to talk to. It's like a beautiful setup in a nice, nice house if you wanted to have tea with your girlfriends and chat. But fucking Osgood has something he wants to say, <laughs> which is, got two bucks. And Samson is outraged. How dare you besmirch this woman's good name with an offer of two bucks? Yeah. And Miss Jolene goes, yeah, all right. <laughs> oh, and Samson. Poor Samson is just chapped at this. Poor Samson. I have not turned on Samson yet in this episode. Well, I posed the question to you when we got to this scene. It was obviously uncomfortable for everybody, but Osgood, because he's a moron, he <laughs> didn't read the room literally at all. But if you paid attention, they're all sitting there and Miss Jolene isn't making eye contact, isn't even looking at anybody. Samson's not looking at anybody. And that's when Osgood's like, hey, um, hey, um, um. <laughs> I got two bucks. So my theory is she's like, it gets me out of this room. Yeah. Your theory is probably not wrong. I had this a similar idea. And she's like, eh, I mean, I'd rather not be here. And it's two bucks. Right. So fine. It'll be an easy, easy money. But Samson believes she's worth more than that. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. 
That's why it was so, like, two bucks. That is absolutely not why. Yes, it is. Her worth had nothing to do with it. At this point, I believe it did. Okay. You believe it did. Yeah, because she charges him 10 and he doesn't think that she's a bigot. Okay, well, we're, we'll, we'll get into who's wrong and... Everybody. <laughs> we'll get, we get into that in a bit. Everybody, but maybe Osgood somehow. <laughs> Osgood's just an idiot. Yeah. So back in California, Justin wants to save the children. I am going to put the entire speech in here because this speech is awesome. Good, and it was too much. I couldn't, I couldn't type it all out. All right. Do you know that there was a boy here whose mother abandoned him in the restroom of a five and dime? No. Well, that I... Pollyann's father... Sold her to some men for one dollar. No. No, of course not. Who wants to dwell on things like that? We never consider the little ones. We only put on our clothes. Who can see the children feeding the endless, ravenous hunger of the textile mill? Mechanical mouths that aren't choosy. Silken thread, a lock of hair. A scrap of scalp, tiny torn fingers. We only turn up the heat. Why think of the boys in the mines crouched over the chutes? For hours they sit, sifting the refuse from the coal, their backs bent. Old men by nine, black long by twelve. Coal is heavy and hard. Hands are soft and fragile. Crushed. Feet crushed. Skulls crushed. Go for a walk, you see them. Boys and girls selling themselves to men and women. A nickel buys a virgin. Some are kept in cages. Babies bought by men who raise them as livestock. Animals to abuse. Soft flesh to violate, to tear and bite. If anyone causes even one of the little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. They must open their eyes. They must open their mouths and drown. As he's saying all of this, he, at first he and Iris are just talking. They're sitting next to each other and chatting like you normally would. But once he starts in on this speech, he locks eyes with her. And I believe he's putting all of these all of this imagery into her Okay. Head. One of my questions was, what's going on with Iris in this? Because she's, it's like she's paralyzed. Mm -hmm. And all the light goes out yep. everywhere except for on them. Just like with Carol. Yep. So you think he's putting the imagery in there? Yep. Okay. As they zoom into her face and as she's, like you said, she's she's paralyzed throughout this whole thing. He doesn't break eye contact. She doesn't break eye contact. And she slowly gets more and more distressed. Yes. As he's describing all of the terrible things that people Distressed. are- Distressed. That's exactly right. Because I didn't want to say scared because she no. doesn't look scared. Distressed is perfect. Well done. So I think that's what's happening here. I think it's a great theory. I think it's the leading theory among academics. <laughs> oh, good. The final thing that he says as the background goes black is they must open their eyes, they must open their mouths, and drown. Ooh, it's so intense. And as he says that, we immediately switch to the carnival, where they are literally drowning in dust. dust. Yeah. 
So the storm is ravaging the carnival. The wind and debris is keeping the visibility low. It's really hard to see one, even one trailer from another. All of the characters we've met so far are in the same trailer. <laughs> I think they're all in Ruthie's trailer or Lila's trailer. I can't tell. I, can't. I think it's Ruthie's because I think the twins are back on her bed with her. Okay. I don't see Dora May in this room, in this shot. No, her and Stumpy are with Apollonia. Okay, I thought Stumpy was in this, but I'm... No, that's Gecko. Okay, I'm envisioning the uh, whole thing. Rita Sue and... Libby. Libby. Are, are there. there. Uh, Lila's there. Yeah. Gabriel and Ruthie are there. The twins are there. And Gecko's there. I think I think that's everybody. Pretty much. And then, yeah, you're right. That's where... I just noticed Dora May wasn't there. And then that makes sense because she's back with Apollonia and Stumpy. So um, Jonesy comes in, kind of takes stock of who's in here and says, has anybody seen Sophie? And they're all like, no. And so Gecko's like, when are we going to hunker down or whatever? (laughs) When are we getting to shelter? Jonesy says when management says so, just like always. But my answer would be, we're fucking here. This is it. You want to go out in that? Then yeah. (laughs) It was definitely an absurd question. I understand being scared and asking it, but it was definitely absurd. And I think this is an interesting scene where Jonesy does exactly what Samson does and puts it on management. Yes. Because it takes it off him. He does, but he's also, he seems angry about it. Yeah. Because he's just like always. Yeah. He's not happy about it, but he's still doing the same thing. And I bet if Jonesy was introspective, which he isn't, then he would have to be he would have to have some understanding about why Samson does that. Because <laughs> it definitely helps yep. to have someone else making the decisions. You're just enforcing them. So Josie goes back out into, I was going to say the blizzard. like the, the, Yeah, the black blizzard. The sand blizzard. Back at Miss Jolene's house with Samson, he's thrown a fit and broken her porcelain figurines, or at least at least one. It's sitting on the floor when... And I still haven't made my full turn on Samson yet. It's petty, but I could be here for petty sometimes. When she asks what happened, he lies and says it was the wind. As she's trying to fit it back together to see if she can repair her her figurine, Osgood's world has been rocked. (laughs) Such a dope. Samson asks how many tricks she turns a day. (sighs) And she she doesn't know this word. And he says at the carnival, that's what we call it. Yeah, here's where I make my turn against Samson. Petty Samson is awful. I absolutely hate this scene. This isn't petty. This is vindictive. This is just mean. It was petty, and you're right. Now it gets vindictive. He pushes her businessman to businesswoman. She tells him, and he does a bullshit math problem to help her increase her profits. Then says he wants to see how quickly she can work Osgood over again. He starts pulling out fives. It's utterly disgusting. He's trying to belittle her. He is belittling her for providing a service that everyone enjoys. At $15, she tells, uh, she's like, all right. Basically, she wants this to stop. So she tell, she calls Osgood to come over. Osgood is nervous, making excuses. He doesn't stand up for her or himself, but he's like, I don't think I'm ready yet. <laughs> and she kind of, she talks to him like I talk to the cats. Come here. (laughs) We're going to be so good. Who's the boy? (laughs) And she kisses him right before she, no, she kisses him or right before she kisses him. Either way, she runs her hands down his butt, pulling him into her, kisses him in front of Samson as Samson watches and says, you know what? Keep your money. I like this boy. Uh. And walks away with him. Samson, (laughs) he like, 
throws his body back into his chair. He sits down and humps. Yes. Is how I describe it. Yep. <laughs> he just went, humph. Yep. Samson absolutely lost this battle. And now he can never return. Yeah. Back to Emily St. James. She has a little bit to say about this scene. Okay. Samson is a man who's used to getting what he wants. But he's also a man warped and made bitter by how the world perceives him outwardly. By how he'll always be conscious of the fact that he'll stand out in any situation, whether he's strolling down a street or paying for sex. Much of the time, he's able to play it off with good humor. But sometimes he finds himself reminded that even dumb old Osgood has several advantages over him. Right. He gets charged more because he's a little person. Harumph. Harumph. And he lashed out at it. Mm-hmm. Not in a good way. Not in an acceptable way. Mm-mm. But Miss Jillian also outed herself as a, as a bad person. The Ben and Lode saga continues. My favorite saga. Lode's so desperately wants to be Ben's mentor. He is thirsty AF. Yeah, he is. And Ben's like, I don't want it. I don't want to do this. That's literally what he says when we get back to the scene. It's funny that this is your favorite saga. It's not. That was sarcasm. Oh, I can't ever tell. Because this is my, I'm so bored by these two. Ben's complaining. Lode's tells him to stop it, then warns him about Babylon. Apparently, Babylon swallows men. Lodes warns him that it will swallow him too if he's not prepared. And I just wrote, foreshadowing. <laughs> Babylon will be upon us soon. And it's weird that you mention it. That's not weird that you mention it. Uh, but you mentioned that you're just so bored by these two. <laughs> and it's so wild that they don't work together. They just don't work. No. Lodes is one of the most interesting characters in the show. Ben is the main character of the show. They have so much intersection that they should really work together. And they just don't. No. And it's weird. There's no chemistry? No. Uh, Lodes' actor. I don't remember his name. He plays his character perfectly. Few other people would be really good in this role. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> he cannot interact with Nick Stahl at all. I don't think it's anybody's fault. Oh, I don't know who would who would be, quote unquote, better in this. I just, they show up and I'm like, can we go back to any of the other stories, please? Yeah, there's just nothing. It's not that there's nothing here because there's a lot here. That's the thing. There's so much here, but it's all exposition because, <sighs> because it has to be because they're not playing off. Well, they are playing off each other. Lodes really, really wants to have this conversation. And yeah. he really, really wants Ben to be really excited to learn all of this stuff. Ben doesn't know how to be excited about anything. So they're actually perfect. Their characters are perfect for who they're supposed to be. Uh-huh. But these two character types can't function together. Lodes wants something that Ben can never give him. And Ben just wants Ben wants something that no one can ever give him either. And they're fighting against each other over the same thing. Huh. Yeah. Uh, this is a note I had for later, but Lodes is utterly baffled <laughs> by somebody who is not obsessed with power. That is true. That is very true. <sighs> that Lodes is obsessed with power and he does not understand anybody who's not. Yeah. And Ben's like, I just want to be a real boy. Yeah. Can I just <laughs> go back to stealing carburetors? Yes. <laughs> you didn't laugh at my joke when I made it. I and did now too. you're calling back to it. I did too laugh at it. <laughs> After it clicked. After I glitched out for a while. <laughs> back at the diner, we get the least sexy sex scene. Oh my God. There are so many surfaces in this diner. It is a diner. It is full of surfaces. Why the floor? 
At least they put something down. I, I, I don't know. So uncomfortable. This sex- On top of everything else that's uncomfortable. Oh this sex is so disappointing, my stomach hurts. <laughs> I wanted to cry for her. <laughs> I'm going to get a little crude here, which I usually don't try to do. So skip ahead if you want. Can but I? His underwear is still on. Oh, all the way up. All the way up. So he just pull it out of the fly? Yep. Oh, God. Yep. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yep. Yeah, I hate that. I hate that for everybody. <laughs> oh, yeah, my stomach hurts again. When he finishes, he rolls off her, pan to her lying there with a tear in her eye, lying flat on her back, completely still, completely clothed, looking a hell of a lot like her mother. Mmm, motionless. He says... Looks like things are clearing up some out there. And at least he <laughs> offers her a cigarette, I guess. Seth's gonna get you a cigarette and some cab fare. <laughs> he lights the cigarette and gives it to her, which, I mean, yes, is not nothing. <laughs> it's also disappointing. She then consoles him as she takes a drag off the cigarette and says, it's okay, it was the storm. Now I want to talk about the it was the storm trope. It's been... Not pervasive, but it shows up every once in a while in other things and how these crazy storms make people behave weirdly. Is that a thing? Being in Florida, I've heard a lot of jokes about babies conceived during hurricane parties. During the party? Oh my god. <laughs> I think the word party here is being used very loosely. <laughs> I think that means people are in a house drinking. <laughs> so whether or not there are other people who don't live there also in the house, a huge question mark. You've not heard that? I've heard, yes, uh, babies being conceived during hurricanes, yes. <laughs> the parties part was new to me. <laughs> okay. Maybe I added that? I don't know. That seems wild. <laughs> Sophie leaves the diner to return to the carnival. She looks at herself in the mirror because this is one of the things that I know happens a lot for people. They think sex is going to make them look different or change them somehow that is that mm. other people can see. Yeah. So I think that's what we're doing here. We get a shot of a dirt-caked Apollonia being looked after by Dorme and Stumpy. Content still. They're still looking after her. Jonesy shows up. So now we have all four of them in this tight shot. This is where Jonesy shows up and Stumpy does his thing, stringing a bunch of words together, but not saying much. <laughs> I disagree. Stumpy is saying a whole lot here. What is he saying? He is saying, get your shit together and go talk to management. I guess he probably is saying that, yes, isn't he? Yes, he is. That's, okay, that's poignant because I was, because he's like, it was real bad, but it could have been worse. Wasn't your fault. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. That was what he. Wasn't your fault, though. Hell, Samson's the only one who could talk to management. Everybody knows that. That's right. Okay, very good. I'm glad you caught that because I only, I stopped at the very beginning because I was like, <laughs> So many people will say just that beginning part. Well, it was really bad, but it could have been worse. And I'm like, you're not helping anything. <laughs> Those words don't help. Well, him saying go talk to management is not helpful either. That is true. However, he didn't lead with just go talk to management because uh -huh. that would have gotten nowhere. Uh -huh. This is good. He's good. He's good at coaxing men into doing things. <laughs> yes, he is. He knows how to talk around the subject. <laughs> yes, that's really, that's a good point. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, oh, I even wrote that in my notes, which gives Jonesy an idea, but apparently I <laughs> forgot that I had that idea at one point. Meanwhile, Osgood is driving Samson back to the carnival and can't stop talking about how awesome Miss Jolene is. <laughs> Shut up, Osgood. <laughs> Jonesy makes it to management's trailer before Samson comes back. He wants to check 
or under the pretense of checking to see if management is all right after the dust storm. But he also wants to use this as his chance to talk to the mysterious management. He announces himself. And the reason that if you've forgotten how he can get in here now, Samson gave him all of the keys. So one of the keys on that key ring is to management's trailer. He announces himself. He calls out to see if management is asleep. Are you awake? Or possibly dead, since, you know, this has been pretty bad. But there is no response. He takes off his hat. He says, it's Jonesy. He takes off his hat and holds it in his hand like a nervous little boy. And then he says, it's Clayton Jones. Yeah, he does. Still nothing. That doesn't get a rise out of anybody. And he goes back to the curtained off area where management would have to be since he's looking around and there's no other place for him to be. When he pulls the curtain back, his behavior, his demeanor is, he's definitely nervous and it's unclear if he's nervous because he'll find, he's afraid he's going to find someone dead or he's going to get in trouble Mm -hmm. or a mixture of everything. Get himself dead. Right. There's definitely a lot of, there's a hesitation for a lot of reasons. I think Jonesy knows vague notions of there's magic going on somewhere. Does he? I think so. Is he that aware? I think he's that aware. I think he's that aware. <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, I guess... Because manage- Samson does say to him, like, you know, management said he was expected. Um. So he pulls back the curtain, and what does he see? Nothing. Nothing. Not even bedclothes. Nothing. Nothing. It's an empty area. Management does not exist. And he's doing a half Ben Hawkins impression. Goddamn. 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 He says it a bunch of times. Emily St. James. Jonesy realizes his boss has been lying to him, and the whole carnival is run on a sort of faith-based shell game. It's a notion that destroys him, and even Samson understands something has shifted between the two of them when he returns at the episode's end. Even Samson. (laughs) I love that. Even Samson. Ben and Lodes arrive back. Ben rushes away. Lodes tries to physically keep him in the vehicle for a little bit longer. <laughs> this is where I was. Lodes does not understand people who don't want power. No. It's like, don't you want to keep learning? No. Ben is like, I want to get as far away from you as humanly possible. There's dust that needs broomed somewhere. I'm running over to the opposite end of the carnival and <laughs> staying there until all of the dust is gone. <laughs> I feel like he just got out of the car and sprinted away. (laughs) (laughs) His arms up. (laughs) He does the... um, Anna Faris and Scary Movie run. Oh, I was thinking the the Muppet Muppet run. (laughs) Great. Lila comes over to fetch loads. She seems to think they hooked up. What? (laughs) You don't think that's what she thinks? No. You don't think that's what that's... No. You don't think so? No. What I Whatever. I think she thinks they hooked up. I was going to make a joke about everybody fucking with them in this episode, but <laughs> you beat me to it, I guess. <laughs> no, Lila knows that Lodes had a plan for him because Lodes wants to be his mentor, and Lila knows that because they talk. She said something gross. Yeah, she said <laughs> But, like, information. Ugh. What a gross term. (laughs) And now you've said it and it's immortalized. Oh, is that what things take to be immortalized? Me to say them? No. Oh, damn. You recorded it. Oh, I'll beep it out. (laughs) (laughs) Do it's gross. (laughs) It's a gross phrase. It's the worst thing that's ever happened. 
They're fine, whatever. Uh, <laughs> my, my whole comment was, which is fine that she thought that they hooked up, even though you don't think that's what she thought. Whatever. But all of the dust, everyone's so filthy all the time. <laughs> yeah, more so at the end of this episode. Right. <laughs> but I did right. I guess everyone else is getting laid, so why not loads and bend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. Might help Ben chill the fuck out a little bit. <laughs> My God. <laughs> Although Lodes is super, not high strung, but melodramatic and he doesn't have any trouble getting laid. Nope. <laughs> you like half, half agreed and then thought about it. So I don't think we've seen him get laid yet. Sophie and Apollonia are in their trailer. It's obviously bad. Apollonia almost suffocated and Sophie slept with a married man. She says, I didn't know he was married. So this is where my question is i don't think she would lie to her mom because she knows she can't lie to her mom i feel like she was the momentum was already there and she's feeling bad she's feeling bad that her mom almost died she's feeling bad that she slept with a married man she's feeling bad that the first time she ever had sex sucked and was with this guy who pulled his dick out of his boxer shorts (laughs) and left on all of his other clothes she's probably sad that she's still never been kissed (laughs) She's upset that her mom's inside her head and is constantly inside her head. And the only way that she can get away from her mom is to physically, literally get away from her mom. It's a lot. It is a lot. So it seems like it would just be an easy reflex to be like, I didn't know that. And then be like, oh, fine. Yes. I- of course you know that I know that. You're already in my head. <laughs> That's how I read it. Samson arrives and approaches Jonesy as he normally would. He's like, that was a big old blow up, blow down, showdown or something, wasn't it? <laughs> yep. I think that's a direct quote. <laughs> they say all kinds of fun things like hunky-dory. Yeah, everything hunky-dory. And Right as Rain. Jonesy was like, it's my favorite David Bowie album. And Jonesy says very little, but throws his keys back at Samson and walks away. Samson doesn't know yet what's gone on, but he knows something's changed. Right. And then finally, back in California, Iris wakes Justin up. There's been a fire in the ministry. He jumps out of bed and they rush to the ministry slash orphanage. All of the children burned to death. Oof, it's brutal. It is. Justin and Iris sob next to the scorched bodies as the camera pans out and we see chins gutted by fire damage. The buildings attached to it are okay. Thick layer of asbestos between them. (laughs) This whole scene at the end. Very hurtful, very sorrowful. And I feel like maybe there's a song that Justin could listen to that would really help him through his emotions. Do you have any any suggestions? I do. I do have a song that I think everybody should probably listen to. It's by Boilermaker called Slow Down, which I wish the (laughs) pacing of this had had slowed down just a little bit. It was really hard. It's a lot of a lot of cuts. Really a lot of hard. scenes. Too many cuts. It's from 1996. Nina Corcoran writes, San Diego's emo scene was ripe for the picking in the 90s with drive through Jihu, Honeywell, and Pinback coming into their own. But while Boilermaker was well known in local fixtures like Shea Cafe or La Polema, the trio never quite got their due nationally. Neither during their existence or Emo's recent revival, which feels pretty much like a lot of the characters in the carnival. <laughs> in Slow Down, a glacial ballad about time passing, their spacious guitars roll in like ocean tide, and a recording of conversation about honesty and relationships fades into the song's yawning outro. Honesty. 
in relationships. Something this show also needs. <laughs> there are no healthy relationships. <laughs> There's something numbing about the way Taryn Dufresne, the band's singer and bassist, stretches his words. He brings a sense of melancholy to every vague phrase he sings, particularly the chorus. Not enough time to get anything halfway done. Dufresne doesn't say much in Slow Down, but the delivery of his words feels like an enormous weight, as if he's front-loading them with invisible meaning, letting the music itself do the translation in real time which I felt was poignant for this episode. A lot happened and not a lot happened all at the same time. We had a lot of cuts. Mm -hmm. We jumped around a lot. But everybody had just like a small little thing that was really impactful happen. Mm -hmm. Essentially, each of these characters had their own little bottle episode. Yeah. (laughs) One thing happened and that's what they had to deal with. Yeah. All of it's going to have massive repercussions down the line. But in this episode, we learned a little bit about each person a little bit more about each person but it was all what how long did this take a few hours yeah so it's like a lot happened not a lot happened a lot's going to happen because of this this all happened because of something else it's just a point in time it's all connected like sand through the hourglass (laughs) these are the days of our lives yes the rotating cast files is produced by Kristen riley and dave reed edited by Dave Reed. Thanks for being here. And if you enjoyed the episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. Please go to Apple Podcasts and give us five stars. Tell us that we are fighting the righteous battle in podcasting good and evil. That old-time religion. That old-time podcast religion. Or even easier, tell people about us. It really helps us out. You can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at CastFiles. We also auto-post to YouTube, if that's your streaming service of choice, or if you like closed captions. And finally, email us at therotatingcastfiles at gmail.com. 